Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. I was like, look, if I was going to die one day, which we all are, what is the gift that I can leave to the world? And I was like, man, I love movement. I love working out. And I want to make a positive impact in people's lives through doing that. And so that was kind of a, a short and simple mission statement that I've dedicated to my life and has kind of led me to, I guess, where I am today. To push a boundary, you can't always play it safe, but you have to play it safe in what you think you can do. Travis Brewer, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Rob. Happy to be here. I am super excited to have you on the show. And I think probably the best place for us to start off, because there's so many different lanes that we can go down with you. I want to take you back to Texas in the yeah. 80s. So, you know, most kids, they they climb, they jump, but <laughs> you aren't a normal kid. I mean, you took this whole climbing and jumping world to a whole new level from the, from the get-go. By the time you were in grade school, you were competing in gymnastics at a national level. Can you give me a little bit of color there at that time in your life? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first off, shout out to my parents, uh, obviously for creating me and raising uh, me to be uh, a part of who I am today. Uh, and grateful for that. Uh, they said around two years old, when I started to be able to crawl and walk, uh, they found me out on the roof of the house. And uh, and so they said, hey, we should probably put this kid in gymnastics. So at a young age, uh, I did start doing gymnastics, but they just put me in at the kid level, not really knowing anything. But uh, I enjoyed it and excelled in it. So uh, I ended up on the competitive team and started competing in elementary school and uh, to middle school. Uh, it was a great experience. It got me a lot of the great fundamentals of, I'd say, of my movement practice. But ironically, uh, after doing gymnastics for competitively, starting to go into high school, it's, 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 there's a big fork in the road. It's like if you're already on a competition team, there's, a, there's this very specific track that takes you to you know, high school, collegiate and Olympic level or not, you know, you can't, you can't just, you know, you can't just play around, uh, in gymnastics at that point. And 
growing up in Texas, it was like, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was cool. You know, the varsity blues, it was like, you want to play football, you want to date the cheerleader. Uh, you know, like I was going to high school, like, uh, wanting to socialize more and, uh, gymnastics really just didn't fully fit in with what I was feeling called to do. And so I actually ended up stopped doing gymnastics and, but it gave me that regimented work hard, play hard mentality of like, look, I'm used to training, like, you know, every day after school until, you know, until I had to go home until I had to like go to sleep. And on the weekends, it was like all day training. So from there I played, I played four different sports in high school. I did football. Uh, I did soccer. I ran track and, uh, I played basketball outside of school and I even did uh, lacrosse for two years and then I ran track for two years. So like it, 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 it opened up my, uh, my desire obviously for movement, but it, it also like gave me that foundation to always continue to like, I was doing school and training full time. And I've had that, like, uh, I guess mentality most of my life. All right. So we're going to dig into the movement piece of this in a little bit, but I want to give people sort of a perspective on your life. So you graduated college and you found yourself making a decision to go into real estate early on. What was yeah. it about real estate? Because I know that obviously you left real estate and you went into doing what you're doing now, but mm-hmm. what was it about that time that made you feel like, hey, I think I want to do some real estate now? Yeah, well, uh, it was pretty much, I ended up blowing out my knee. I blew out my knee. I tore my ACL, my LCL, my PCL, all the nerves in my knee. I couldn't wiggle my toes. They weren't sure if I would A, be able to walk, B, they're like, you'll never be able to play sports again. And I was just crushed. I mean, like, uh, I, this probably doesn't surprise you, but movement is my life. And, and, and all I've wanted to do is be a professional performer or movement artist. And so I was just devastated. And so I was like, well, you know, in life, the, you know, if you, if you, if you make a lot of money, you have a lot of friends, you know, that is the, you know, the golden ticket that, you know, so like, I was like, well, shoot, if I can't, be the athlete, you know, like what, what's another option. And I was like, well, real estate, you know, you can make a lot of money It's a, and you can do well, uh, in that. And it's a re- relatively social, uh, not always at the desk, uh, job. And so that's what I chose. And I did that for a couple of years, almost five years of my life. And, but you also got to realize that I, I graduated college 2004, 2005, and there was no, there's no YouTube, there's no Instagram, there's no CrossFit games. There's no, there's no real, you know, TikTok. There's no opportunity to be a social influencer uh, when I graduated college, and I think that that probably would have sparked my interest. At the same time, you know, there's no podcast. There was no, none of these options, and so like I, you know, it was a, there was very different, uh, I guess, a narrower options of I'd say like creative outlets of of, of income and, and expressing yourself through uh, a job, and so I did that. Uh, and then in 2008, 2009, when the market crashed, for all you youngsters out there, there was a huge market crash uh, similar to kind of the pandemic now. And so I I lost my job. And I was devastated, but. Uh, it didn't deter me. It was just like, man, this is uh, maybe this is an opportunity to do something I really wanted to be doing. I had saved up some money. I had a good nest egg. I had uh, a lot of friends, and I had like a lot of uh, had a, a great network at that point. And so I decided to go back to school. And at that time, also, it was really more of like self discovery. I was like, okay, like I've done the 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 process of like getting your getting your job and 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 getting sec- financially secure and and have you know like the you know the the network and all that kind of stuff but I was like man I, I still don't feel like I'm trying to get more to self actualization of like who what is my purpose beyond like just feeling secure and um and so I really I I read a book uh, 
this is also right around when Steve Jobs died. And I was like, man, this guy's pretty tapped in. He's doing some cool stuff. And, uh, and so I read a book, I read his autobiography and uh, at his funeral, he handed a book to everyone that attended. It was called autobiography of a Yogi. And that book kind of led me to kind of more of understanding uh, a little bit more who I am. He, this guy named Yogananda started a meditation garden that was actually, ironically enough, in L.A. Uh, on the way to Malibu. And I was actually going to uh, grad school at Pepperdine in Malibu. So I was like, sweet, I'll check this place out. And so I started a meditation practice of just uh, self-actualization, maybe understanding a little bit more of who I am and what my purpose is. And and in grad school, I studied entrepreneurship. I was like, well, something that I can give to the world uh, or something that I could start. Uh, and so that was like a two-year process of just kind of self-discovery. I, I read a ton of books. Uh, I actually just reread one of my favorite books uh, like last week, um, like Joe Dispenza, Becoming Supernatural, you know, like really tapping into like understanding the mindset of, of what a human uh, can do and, and be more supernatural with, with your powers that you're given, you know, through breath and through meditation and through mindset. And so that's kind of what led me to starting Positive Impact Movement. I was like, look, if I was going to die one day, which we all are, what is the gift that I can leave to the world? And I was like, man, I love movement. I love working out. And I want to make a positive impact in people's lives through doing that. And so that was kind of a, a short and simple mission statement that I've dedicated to my life and has kind of led me to, I guess, where I am today. All right. So let's let's deconstruct some of this stuff. So Joe Dispenza wrote the book Supernatural. He's he's written a ton of different books and he's yeah. he's he's quite amazing, right? When you read Joe Dispenza's work, he talks about and again I'm paraphrasing so bear with me, but mm-hmm. he talks about like, you know, your ability to not live a repeat of your previous day and step into a new you essentially Mm -hmm. each day. And those are my words of his work, right? He would say it a thousand times, a thousand times better than I just did. But when you're doing the kind of work you do, which we'll get into in a second, how are you always not resting on your laurels and reinventing yourself such that your brain is fully engaged and fully present in doing something that's no longer Tuesday for you and it's new and it's different. Does that, does that question make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, I think, I think I understand what you're saying. And, and to that mo- point, I think so much of it is living in the present, uh, which, you know, Joe Spins is very much about like living in the present as opposed to the, the future or like worrying about what you've done in the past or worrying about your future. Uh, but also, uh, a lot of it is, is finding flow. And so like, I love obviously creating, but I love the opportunity to work with individuals and, you know, every human is different. And so, and every opportunity is different, but the opportunity to be in a a flow state, often how humans get into flow states is, is, is being, uh, I don't want to even say in uncomfortable positions, but being on places where you have to be in high alert. And so, uh, a lot of the things that I create are like high alert situations, which literally, uh, make me live in the present. For example, like if I'm doing a handstand on someone's hands who's holding a weight bar, for example, there's there's a lot of uh, uh, things that could go wrong. And so like you have to be completely focused and be aware of what you're doing. Uh, or like, you know, 
getting close to the edge of a building or even hand standing on the edge of a building. You know, it's like you have to be fully aware and fully present of what you're doing, which allows you to maybe tap into what you would call a higher self or maybe even just like you're just you're fully embodied. We can at least agree on that. And that's something that I, I, I truly find joy in and, and try to get back into is, is finding back to your source or getting embodied as much as, much as possible. Why would one do a handstand on the side of a building? <laughs> First off, I so, wouldn't recommend anyone do that unless this is your comfortability zone, you know, like, uh, and, and there's years of training that comes into that. But I'm, I, I, what I'm trying to say is that that is where I can find a, a flow where I need to be fully present. Uh, and I don't really necessarily do it to scare people. I really do it for myself. Is there a, is there a point where that edge <laughs> pun intended is, yeah, yeah. O- is always being pushed so far that in order to get that state of presence and aliveness, you're doing some shit that's crazy. I mean, like really, even for you, crazy. Because like, you know, we're going to link this up in the show notes, but if somebody goes to your website, they're going to see a picture of you hanging, not hanging, doing a handstand on a handrail that is, it looks like it probably is Vegas or something where- Oh, it's downtown LA. Down, is that downtown? Okay. Yeah. Where it looks like it's got to be a green screen because there's no way that <laughs> any any human being would ever do something like this. It's worth it. If you're listening to this at the gym, it's worth it to remember and go home and, and look this thing up because it it looks it looks crazy. So like, obviously you didn't start there. Well, maybe you did because you, you said at the beginning that you were a kid and you were walking on the edges from, from birth. Yeah. So is this, is this something that like, I don't know, like not, I mean, you're a spiritual guy, you're a woo guy. So I'm, I'm sure I'm not saying anything that's like crazy out of turn here, but like, is this like some weird past life stuff that you're just pushing the envelope and, or is this just you evolving into this edge? Like the edginess is what I'm trying to like, you know, like this, like it's so, again, pun intended, it's so edgy. Like where does that, where does that come from? Experience or that, that's that place where I did that handstand, you know, like I actually felt very comfortable doing it. That wasn't where I was like, oh man, like this is a 50, 50, you know, this is an 80, 20, you know, like this is a like, you know, outside of, you know, there's always, you know, a 1% chance anything can happen. I mean, we could get struck by lightning, you know, it's like uh, hit by a car, but like on that, in that, in that instant, I felt pretty comfortable in what I was doing. And honestly, I did it for the art. I, I think, the, I think the photo is beautiful. And I think it's something that will like, obviously like last longer than I, I will. And, uh, it was something that was really beautiful. And, uh, in a, in a weird, I, you know, I don't want to like dwell on the, on this, but like, if something did go wrong, like this is something I'd be proud of. Uh, it's an art. And so like, I've, obviously I'm not trying to like put myself in, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm a, like a, a, a full on daredevil or stuntman, but it's like, it, it was something that I wanted to create. And I guess if you look at like Alex Honnold, for example, you know, the guy who did free solo, you sure. know, like he, like he, he's very calculated in what he does. Uh, you know, I, I, I did meet the guy once or twice, really nice guy, but like he, he's, he's doing it, you know, more or less to create an art and to create a statement and push the boundary of human performance and evolution. And, and that is something I am passionate about. And to push a boundary, you can't always play it safe but you have to play it safe in what you think you can do. You know, 
like when you think about what he did and he's remarkably chill, which is, I feel mm-hmm. like, I feel like somebody would be, you know, who's always like sort of like living on the, and maybe for him, he's not living on the edge of, of death there because he just feels like, you know, like you said, he's, he's quite calculated in what he does, but um, all right. So I want to talk to you about a few things before we dig into sort of what you do exactly. You mentioned that in 2008, uh, the market took a turn and you made a decision personally that you wanted to take nine months off and you wanted to travel to South Pacific and you wound up going to Australia and New Zealand and Fiji, et cetera. In what ways do you think that experience shifted you? Yeah, that was a huge, huge shift. And, and I think developing what I want to do, uh, just for context, that's actually, uh, I traveled right after I graduated undergrad. So like around 2004, 2005 is when I did the South Pacific. Okay. So it was um, before, it was before the crash and before, yeah, before the crash before, yeah. and before real estate. Yeah. Yeah. Basically I did an internship, moved home, saved a little money, traveled, came back and worked in okay. real estate in California. Okay. Um, but same mentality of, uh, of, of learning in the sense that like living abroad, uh, and I, anyone who can travel or live abroad, I know it's, it's, pr- it's very different with, with COVID, but still the, the lessons that we can learn and understanding different culture and understanding different people, you know, either we're from the religion that they grew up in or, or the city or the, you know, the, the country, you know, everyone has a different, uh, let's call it energy or experience. And so understanding that people have, uh, different things that they either influence them or look up to or, or, uh, you know, have access to, you know, from food and, and everything else. And so uh, that mindset alone, I think really shaped me and like what I, and understanding, I guess, human psychology a little bit more, but on top of that, understanding what I loved and like, uh, living in Australia, I, I just love travel. I love surfing. I love the beach culture. I love, they have a muscle beach down in Sydney. And so like understanding that there are other muscle beaches in the world. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. And the culture that it creates. And it was so wild to go back to Sydney and know that people recognize me at the muscle beach in Sydney. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like, why aren't there more muscle beach parks around the world? And And because there's not like, I want to create that. I want everyone to have the opportunity to meet community that's like-minded that can be outdoors and playing and stuff. And so just little stuff like that, like I think were lessons that I learned that I would, I would never have done if I didn't leave the the state or the country or the place that I grew up in. Indonesia is really beautiful. If no one's been like, uh, it's like, uh, it's, it's very affordable. Uh, the people are very kind. I feel, uh, the food's really great. Uh, New Zealand is, uh, such a clean and beautiful, uh, country, uh, the beaches of Fiji are wonderful. So just like that, that culture of, of, of understanding beach life, I think led me to when I moved back to Houston, uh, when I was living back at, at my parents' home and, and working, I was like, you know what? I love Texas. It's wonderful, but I just love beach culture. And so, um, you know, I wanted to go study abroad or live abroad some more and, and work over there. And uh, my parents really wanted me to stay in the country. So I was like, let's meet in the middle. How's Los Angeles? And so that's actually how I ended up in LA. Uh, and I've pretty much been here ever since. It's interesting. So you're, I just moved from uh, Hermosa Beach to, oh, uh, to Florence. And you're in, okay. which, where are you in LA? I'm in Venice Beach, but I lived in Manhattan and Hermosa for the first two years when I moved to California. Okay. So, you know, you get it, right? It was, it was interesting yeah. to me that, 
you know, I, um, I'm 55 and I decided two years ago that I wanted to take up surfing, never surfed in my life. And I moved from Atlanta to, uh, to Hermosa and, uh, it was magical. I mean, I felt like I was living in a, you know, like a Sunkiss commercial. It was bizarre. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's exactly what I thought it was going to be like, you know, with that sort of out. Yeah. yeah, I mean the South Bay, right? Exactly. Exactly. It was yeah. just it was incredible. Now, what's interesting about what you do is you actually have, which is different than most people who who do the kind of work that you do. You actually went to Pepperdine and you went to business school, and you decided that you know this was the kind of life that you wanted to have. How do you uh, maybe reconcile is a bad word? When you went to business school, what was the purpose of going to business school? Did you want to open your own business and did it change over time? Going to business school was, I guess, short and sweet was like two part. One, I I knew I wanted to do something different. Two, I wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do. So I took it as an opportunity to go back to school and learn and and focus on that. Uh, I did know that I didn't want to be, let's say, uh, uh, a normal let's call it finance job or accountant or desk job or something like that. So going into business school, I knew that I wasn't, I didn't really want to lock myself into, let's call it an office all day long, but I did want to obviously work hard and play hard. And so entrepreneurship uh, made the most sense for me at the time or joining a startup uh, that I really believed in. And so it was, it was, it was, that was, I think, or I know that that was a really great time of like, I just decided that I really wanted to just focus on who I was or my mission in life. And then kind of, and just educate myself more. I took a lot of like personal development uh, classes and work as well as, uh, as a lot of business school and uh, you know, in graduating business school, I'm really proud of my experience. I'm really glad I did it. But for anyone who's like, let's say like just out of college and thinking about going to business school and thinking, you know, trying to save a bunch of money for it. There's also a lot of, lot of, uh, upside to just starting a company and using the money that you went to business school. And let's say you don't even like that company is a, a break even, or even a slight failure. I think there's a lot in learning just in business as well. And so like business school is incredible. The network's amazing, but I, you know, there's, there's a lot of value in just like reading a textbook of, of a case study versus doing it yourself. So I, I definitely don't say you have to go to business school to start a business, but if you can afford to do both, do it. You know, most of the people that I interview who went to business school and stepped into, you know, sort of the proper traditional channels of business school, their focus is on making money. Like they just want to find a way to make more money, but that is not the road that you went down. Not that not that you're yeah. not making money, you are, but you went down a road of doing something that you're truly passionate about. And you're not trying to make money for money's sake. You're trying to focus on passion. So the question I have for you is, you know, you you could have gone down multiple paths. You could have gone down a real estate path. You could have gone down this, uh, all these different paths. What was it for you, or maybe even what advice would you give for people that are listening that, you know, inside their bones right now, they're feeling, you know, I just have this passion for this thing, but I went to business school or I went to accounting school or I went to law school or medical school, whatever. So I should be going down this road, but inside of me, I'm feeling called to go down another road. How do you reconcile? Because you you did some work here. Like you 
you listened to Joe Dispenza and you listened to, you read Autobiography of a Yogi and you've done personal development. So you understand that intersection. But how would you yeah. advise somebody that is feeling pulled? Like, I want to go this way, but I, but I feel like I should go that way. Yeah. Uh, first off, thank you for listening to yourself and listening to your intuition. I think a lot of people tune out their, their mindset or, you know, there's a lot of, you know, negative self-talk that, uh, all humans have, you know, and you have an opportunity to listen to, uh, to that or listen to like, a, let's call it a higher self or a source. That's like, Hey, look, maybe this is what you're supposed to be doing, or this is another opportunity. So, uh, first off, thank you for listening. Second off, cultivate it, start a conversation with that person or, or that thing, or, or try to le learn more and, and start reading these books. You know, like Joe Dispenza is a great one. Uh, you know, like Deepak Chopra has been, uh, become a friend and uh, an incredible human. Uh, even, the uh, Aubrey Marcus does really cool stuff. The Onnit guy, uh, really cool, you know, a little bit more modern time and, and just like, like, uh, get into the mindset of like, of, of what you can and do. And, and, and don't forget, you can start small, you know, it's like, even just from reading books and, and even just personality tests of like, Hey, this is my strengths and weaknesses. These are the things that I, like get me going, you know? And so, uh, I think that that would be a, a good start, you know, like start reading these books and, you know, like, I think even anyone who's in a, uh, let's call it even a full-time job, like there's no reason that you can't start something part-time. You know, I have friends who start podcasts part-time that become full-time jobs. You know, I have people that, you know, even start coaching, you know, on the weekends that become like full-time coaches, uh, at some point, you know, so like, don't be afraid to start a part-time passion project that could become your, uh, your full-time job. Like, uh, a friend of mine, he was a, a lawyer and he, uh, was like, man, I've been a lawyer for a couple of years and not, it's not, it's not my passion. And he was like, you know, I want to start it. We were throwing parties and he was like, you know what, you know, the, the ugly sweater, you know, we all wore yep. like a Christmas party. He's like, yep. I'm going to start. And uh, we're all, we're always going to ugly sweater parties. I'm going to start an ugly sweater company and just did it on the side. And is this the guy who was on, on the He was on shark tank, right? Yep. Is on shark tank. And it was the highest valued company in shark tank for the last 10 years. And he was a friend of mine from the South Bay, you know, actually Amazing. in San Diego, but, but he came up, we partied together in the South Bay. He was from San Diego and started the most valued company on, on Shark Tank. So you never know, you know? And, and, and we, I remember literally sitting around at a Christmas party one time talking about it. Like, oh, that's a great idea. You know, it's like, cool. I have an idea called positive impact movement. You know, it's like, you know, you just never know. Uh, sometimes they win, sometimes they lose, but like, uh, you know, I, I guarantee you he doesn't regret doing it, you know? So it's like, and you know, same thing, another lawyer, uh, that took a d different route ended up on a podcast, like uh, creating really, really amazing stuff. Do you know, uh, Rich Roll, the vegan ultra marathoner, like he was a lawyer and I, and I'm so grateful I did his podcast as well, but such an incredible human, but like talk about it's never too late for anyone who's out there. Rich Roll, uh, you know, he was he was like, uh, I think it was his 40th birthday that, uh, he was like, man, I, you know, he's married with two kids and, and was like, look, uh, you know, had the, the status of the, of, you know, making partnership as a lawyer and was like, look, I, this is, I'm not fulfilled or happy. It's just started running. And that running led to becoming a, you know, becoming an ultra marathon runner, which led to starting a podcast and, you know, having one of the more successful podcasts out there, uh, by the time he was in his, if he's 50 or something like that, you know? So it's like, you know, it's, it's, I'm getting the numbers right mixed up, but like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's never too late. It's like, it's, 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 uh, listen to that passion and, uh, great things will happen. 
Yeah, you know, what's interesting about Rich's story is um, he had this interesting place in his life where everything was going to shit and everything was going to the moon at the same time. So he literally had a New York Times bestseller and he looked out the Mm -hmm. window one day and they were repossessing his car. It was like his life was like it was he was literally rising and falling all at the same time. It's this really interesting story. So I love that. Okay, you mentioned Shark Tank. I want to talk about three television shows um, that you've been associated with. And I just want to touch on them because I think they're interesting. The first one is um, the one I think probably you're most famous for, which is the American Ninja Warrior. How did that enter your life? Uh, great question. Uh, you know, so the irony, I graduated uh, Pepperdine and my parents came out for graduation and the day they graduated, they're like, sweet, what do you want to do? You know, let's go to, you know, your steak restaurant in Hollywood, you know, let's go celebrate. And I was like, honestly, guys, there's this meditation garden that I love to go to. And I love going to Muscle Beach in Santa Monica. And, uh, and they were like, okay, let's go. And um, that day I ended up meeting someone who, uh, who helped change my life. He's a, a famous calisthenic athlete. His name is Frank Medrano. And uh, Frank Medrano, he had a viral YouTube video and he was starting a calisthenic group, almost like a, I, I joke around called a calisthenic gang. But him and this guy, Warren Lee, uh, proven on Instagram, uh, progressive calisthenics on Instagram. These guys were starting the bar stars of the West Coast. And before bar stars was even like a big thing, right before Instagram was even starting. So you did, I didn't know of what, all this calisthenic, you know, uh, fitness craze was going to be, but this guy's like, well, look, we're starting, uh, this, this, this body weight calisthenic group. And I'm like, that sounds cool. And I was the, uh, I was the only white guy in the group and I was living in, you know, on the West side. And I was like, look, I'm excited to join a, a fitness gang. Uh, you know, if worst case scenario, it'll be really funny and I'll get in good shape. And, uh, that really, I had no clue, but would change my life in the sense that, uh, they started these uh, performing these calisthenic uh, at the calisthenic routines or, or, or jams, let's call it at the expos. And so I started performing They had a connection to like the, the fitness expo. So I started performing at fitness expos, doing these crazy calisthenic stunts. And from there uh, they started a calisthenic competition called the world calisthenic organization battle of the bars. It was like a, a freestyle calisthenic uh, fitness competition. And I ended up winning uh, a competition, uh, which made me one of the top ranked guys in the world, which was pretty crazy. I was like, wow, all this happened in the span of like a year or two from graduating, uh, while I was starting the business. And so I was like, man, I thought I was starting a fitness company that I would just get product on, on different athletes. The irony is just like, uh, rich Roll's story. He was like, Oh, it's too late to become an athlete at 40. I was thinking the same thing. I had just turned 30 and I was like, Oh, it's too late to become a professional athlete. You know, thinking like, you know, by the time you're 30 in the NFL, you're, you're an old man, you know? So I was like, well, there's no way I could be an athlete, you know? Uh, but I can, I, you know, I, and I can, I can train like I was. And the irony was I, I ended up winning this competition and I was like, Oh sweet. Uh, I, I can do this. And, and then from there I parkour gym called Tempest had opened up. And so I went to the opening became friends with the guys who started it. And there was, uh, some people who were coming to the gym who were doing, I would just learn kind of monkey see monkey do. And I would just go and see the, the guy doing the coolest thing at the gym and try to learn it or ask him or pick his brain. And they're like, oh, that's cool. And, and in that process, there was a guy who was the 
number two American Ninja Warrior at the time, uh, Justin McGrath. And, and so, and so I was like, I was kind of learning trick for trick. He's like, Hey, you're really talented. You should come out for this show, American Ninja Warrior. That's what I'm in town for. And I'm like, uh, cool. Where is it? Are we filming Venice? Sweet. I live in Venice. I'll come by. I'll bike over. You know, at the time there was these, you know, you would wait for days to, to a walk in line to, to, for a chance to, to, uh, to be on the show. And luckily he was able to get me, uh, I was able to get a, a, almost like a lottery ticket to potentially run on the, um, on the, on the show. And I didn't have to wait in line for two days and camp out. And, uh, basically I kind of got lucky. Like, uh, I, I was there just watching. I, I had a really long number. I didn't ever think I'd get to run, but there was a, there was a mistake. Uh, one of the, uh, obstacles had broken and they needed to they couldn't finish running that night and they had to finish the next day. And so at that time they finished the last 10 runners and then they let a couple of the walk-on people go because they had a little time. Slot. And they were like, Hey, they're like, all right, we got time for like, you know, one or two more. Uh, Hey, you know, a lot of the walk-on line people had kind of failed. They didn't do as well as the people that usually choose for the show. And they were like, Hey, you know, hey, I want to one or two more. Hey, McGrath, get your buddy in there. And I got chosen and I ended up, essentially uh doing really well on the course and making it to the next round and they're like oh wow we didn't expect this walk-on guy to to be able to to uh, to be able to like do well on the show and so uh that's how i first got on and uh fortunately they invited me back and uh, i did even better the next year and uh i competed over like seven eight years of of the show and it's been so cool and like that like uh, at the time that show was on um g4 you know so it, it wasn't even on nbc yet you know i had no clue that it was going to become this like huge mainstream like popular show i was just doing it because like uh, it was an opportunity in not only like in my backyard but also like it was an opportunity to to, to have some fun on uh, on an obstacle course never thinking that like i got to do this to become famous you know like i was doing it because i loved it and i just it was it was ahead of the the curve let's say uh, becoming mainstream and really grateful for the opportunity to be on it for a couple of years. And, uh, the community of, of Ninja warrior, like that, that's the cool thing about it. Like anyone who's doing this show, I think really isn't, most people aren't doing it for the fame. Most people are doing it because they want to overcome obstacles in their lives. And they are like, everyone is literally rooting for each other because it's, it's, you would think it would be very competitive, but it's very like ninjas versus the course versus like ninja versus ninja although the show i i think even kind of tries to portray us more against each other than it really is like from the behind the scenes we're like such a tight-knit community of just like we just want to have fun and overcome obstacles in our lives and help other people do it so i'm really grateful for that opportunity so what's the advantage to doing it um in terms of a, a career move do you do you like how many how many hours a week are you involved with it are you getting paid to do it like because you did it for a long time yeah the show you there's there's prize money um you know so if you get you know first or second place or if you get, get a mega wall when you make it to vegas there's like stipends you know for for hotel and stay and that kind of stuff but they don't pay you to be on the show but there's opportunities if you do well, you know, like Ninja gyms will want to have you compete and that kind of stuff. There's, there's opportunities outside of it. Obviously you can grow social media from it and that kind of stuff. But I used it. I like, you know, I, I thought it was great because I had started an, an apparel company and we created Ninja pants, you know, and, and we were raising money to, to give back to more like muscle beach parks around the world. So, uh, I used it not only as a platform to something I was already passionate about, but I used it also as an opportunity to just showcase something that I love. And so I highly recommend if you have any interest in doing it, there's 
probably an ninja gym somewhere in the city or country that you're in. I mean, literally I was Googling, there's a ninja gym in Rome. I was, I was Googling it. If I had any free time, I was going to stop by. So like, uh, there, you know, there, and I only think they did ninja warrior in Italy for one or two seasons, you know? So it's like, uh, it's out there. And if not, there's probably obstacle course training. There's definitely some sort of a Spartan race, uh, type, uh, obstacle course training, um, that you can do, or just, you know, start doing bodyweight training, but it's, it's wonderful because I think like as a, I'd, I'd call myself a functional fitness athlete. Uh, and I, that's where, at least where my passion and training is. Cause I think like, uh, no disrespect to, to bodybuilders, but bodybuilding is really based around, you know, aesthetically looking good, which is super important, you know, uh, for many reasons, but, uh, functional fitness is really how well you can like move, you know, how you long, how you can, how you can essentially like, uh, how, how, how well you can run, how well you can push, pull, uh, squat, lunge, that kind of stuff. And so that's where, like, I love to really base my training around. Cause I, I want to be able to do the most things possible. I want to be able to climb the most things, jump the most things, run the most things, play, play the longest, if you want to call it that. So did you, uh, did you say that you did some, a television show here in Italy as well? I did. Yeah. How long were you here? Uh, so I've been twice this year, uh, yeah. twice in the last six weeks. And this is for, for the television show. Yeah. Which actually has not aired yet. So, um, I'll get you guys a link for it, but it'll be airing really soon. Uh, but it's called two CK Vallis and, yeah. uh, we filmed in Rome and it's, it's cool. It's a show similar to America's got talent or France has got talent or any of the got talent series. But what I think is cool about it is it's a little bit more, I would say, circus focused or maybe more performance focused where like on America's Got Talent, you might have like, a, uh, you know, a kid singer versus a magician versus uh, an acrobat. Tusi uh, Kivalis is a little bit more, um, I'd say, performance based. So it was really cool. Okay. And then you somehow um, found yourself involved with Shark Tank too. Did I get that right? Yeah, that is correct. Uh, a friend of mine started a company called Be Somebody, which is essentially you—you you know, you have a skill set that you want to share to the world. Uh, how can you be somebody that shares it? And it was a peer-to-peer sharing platform. And I was one of the ambassadors for the the company with uh, Henry Cejudo, the MMA guy, and uh, some other amazing uh, athletes. And we went on to Shark Tank essentially to help tell the story of the of the company. And so that was really cool because I got to essentially perform for the company. Uh, and it was a really unique experience. It was really great. Uh, I look forward to maybe going on with my own company one day, but it was really cool to be a part of that. Uh, the sharks uh, seemed really cool. The set's really cool. The people that work behind it were really neat. So it was a really cool experience. Yeah. Where do they, uh, where do they film that? Uh, that's in LA. Yeah. It's in LA. Okay. Yeah. It's in Culver City. Culver City. What was it like for you walking in there and seeing those sharks who are now so famous for the first time? Was it intimidating or are you at that point now where you, you just don't react to the crowd like that? Well, the irony is I, I didn't really have much... The first time technically meeting them, I literally was jumping on the shark's table and backflipping while the one of them, while, while they were giving me a high five. So a high five and backflipped them at the same time, you know? So like that was literally the first <laughs> time actually meeting them. I was rolling in on a 
monster truck tire. So like there wasn't too much time to actually ever really be nervous because I'm literally trying not to fall, you know, like on a tire. I'm focusing so much on just like doing my stunt. So <laughs> there's, there's no, there's no uh, time to kind of get a celebrity shock, if you will. But on top of that, uh, I, I, it's living in LA and, uh, getting to be on television. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't want to say it waters down your experience, but like at the end of the day, you get to realize that all these people are, are just humans as well, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and they've just found success or are really good at acting or whatever, you know, their, their skill set is. And so for the most part, like, I mean, they hundred percent, they're all human and how they want to interact with you is, is their choice. So how you choose to uh, perceive them is also your choice. So. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about animal flow. What is animal flow? Oh, animal flow is an incredible movement practice. Shout out to Mike Fitch for the creator of animal flow. But uh, going back to functional fitness, it's, it's how to move functionally. And I always like to say, I like to put the fun and functional movement, you know, just have fun with that. But animal flow is really how to move essentially kind of like an animal, you know? So there's like literally like the ABCs of animal flow, you, you, how you move like an ape. We're on video, right? Yeah. Um, like, so like an ape was literally, it's just kind of like a, let's see if I can move my camera here, but we're sitting in like a, a position where I'm on my, on my heels and I want to sting my hips as low as possible. And getting in this position, most humans have a really hard time sinking their hips all the way down where you can sit comfortably. You know, I, I even started, you know, like almost parallel, like sitting like this. I was like, Oh, this is, this is, this is uncomfortable. But, uh, there's another great movement guy, Ido Portal, who was like, you know, I challenge you to sit you know, in that position, it was 30 days for 30 minutes, you know, so you, you can take a break every minute, you can take a break every five minutes, but like getting your hips lower, uh, so that you have full range of motion. And so getting into that, uh, ideology of like, uh, mobility helps with your strength and your, and being able to fully, fully move, uh, as well as there's a, the B for animal flow is called a beast crawl. So it's almost like a bear crawl, but your, your, your knees are not on the ground. They're kind of hovering. So it's like a full tension, full body movement exercise. And so, you know, opposite hand, opposite feet, a lot of like quadrupedal movement, but also a lot of like mind body connection at the same time, you have to really kind of be thinking about what you're doing and full tension C stands for crab walk. So that's like kind of like a tabletop. We did it, you know, maybe as a kid. And so being able to move in, I guess, untraditional patterns really helps, I, I would say, awaken your mind a little bit and, and being able to, I guess, move more, more, more functionally or have a more well-rounded skill set. You know? And that, that translates to... And then what's really great about animal flow is like you can then connect it. So like everything can go back to a starting point and everything can go back. And like in acro yoga, we call this a washing machine because, you know, washing machine goes back to the, to where you started. So, you know, like, uh, like, uh, for example, if I was like in an L sit up to a handstand, did a three sixty and went back to an L sit that, that, you know, I'm starting and ending at the same point, you can loop it like a video. And so animal flow all has these loops and starting points. And so it's really cool. It's kind of like a, a capoeira dance, types of animal movement. And, uh, it was the foundation. It was one of the first certifications that I got that really was just, uh, an untraditional style of, of fitness training that like, uh, I use as a, a baseline for all the, all the training that I do today. How does that compare to PI movement? So PI movement, uh, stands for positive impact movement. And, uh, and it's a company that I started with the intention of wanting to essentially fund more muscle beach parks or playgrounds and they don't have to be on a beach, but you know, playgrounds, uh, around the world. It's also an apparel company, which you can go to pimovement.com or pimovement.ninja. And you can see, 
some of the apparel that we have. And that was the idea of like starting a company that would be for, I, let's call it for good. Uh, I wanted to, I was so inspired by uh, Tom's Shoes, Patagonia, Life is Good, brands that had a mission statement that gave back with every purchase. And so I wanted to continue that, that message. Uh, and with Tom's with the one for one, you buy a pair of shoes, they give it to someone, uh, in need. Uh, I was, and Patagonia has 1% for the planet. So every, every time you purchase something from Patagonia, they, they save 1% of their, of, of their, of their sales and they give it to, um, uh, preserving things in nature, uh, and the planet. And so I was like, well, that's cool. What if I did, you know, not 2%, not 3%, but 3.1%. If you know, the circle of life pie, you give back to others, you give back to the planet, it gives back to you. Super, uh, you know, wanted to make a simple process of, of using that. So that's why we call it pie movement, uh, the number of pie, ah, but also, I love that. Yeah, also, yeah, also the initials positive impact. And so that was that ideology. And then from there, I've been working on wanting to create, a. Uh, how do I say this? More of my movement style of practice. Uh, eventually, like I, I wrote a program over quarantine that still uh, in the process of launching. Many of you guys are out there that are good at helping launch programs. Hit me up. I've, I've actually filmed everything. Just need to kind of just like get it in process. But uh, it's basically covering the seven functional movement patterns which I think are the most important movement patterns that any human could learn. And then uh, adding what let's call it a ninja that mentality. So it basically, it allows you to how, how I would train for Ninja warrior. If I didn't have an obstacle course, you know, like I'm literally how, how I can climb, how I can jump, how I can swing, how I can, how I can run, how I can uh, all those things better. So uh, what that's, you- uh what are you noticing now as you're getting older that mm-hmm. is just not working the way it used to work? You know, the, 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 uh, I don't know, the wrists, the elbows, the ankles, the back, like what, what are you noticing that isn't the same? And how are you thinking about continuing the mobility as you age? Yeah, great question. What's kind of wild is like, I, I've really been trying to, uh, like, I've been looking for, you know, it's like, like, where is my body slowing down? And I'm, I'm really like, I'm still, still, still struggling to find it, which is, which is incredible. Like I'm in my, you know, I, I just turned 39 and like, I thought for sure, you know, like 39 versus 29, like there would be, you know, no, no comparison. And I, I honestly could say I'm in better shape at 39 and I'm at 29, like hands down. And so that's cool. You know, I like, I, I'm, I'm realist. I know that that, you know, 49 is not going to be the same as 39. So in that I do work a lot more in mobility, uh, and opening up my body. Uh, and I do work more on, I, I'd say, let's call it longevity. And in that is mostly mobility training. Uh, I, I'd like, I, I would say at one point I was doing a lot heavier strength training. Like I was doing like, you know, super heavy, like max bench press, max, you know, squat, that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't do that as much anymore, but, uh, not to say that I can't, I just like, uh, I, I, I guess the one thing that I tried to protect the most, I would say is my, is my knee. But the irony is the more that I've been focusing on my mobility, my knee has been hurting less. Cause it used to be like a, 
you know, it used to be in pain a lot more. And so that, and I, I've been focusing a lot more on, on recovery and that I, I would say mental recovery as well as physical recovery. Uh, and, and working on, on that has been super helpful. And I would say my longevity and what's cool about the, let's call it the sport or the, the, now that I'm doing more of the performing with uh, America's Got Talent and the Got Talent shows, you know, I'm performing two, three minutes at a time. Even Ninja Warrior is like two, three minutes at a time. So it's kind of like, let's look at like, like a Floyd Mayweather, you know, it's like you have a boxing match that, you know, that, you know, you know, a couple minute rounds, you know, even rounds, that's it. You know, it's like, you can be a, uh, you can be an athlete who does, you know, goes later in their career in the style of training that I'm doing. And I'm also, I also am, really trying to train to be as functional as possible. Uh, not necessarily like, let's call it a, uh, let's call it a strong man or anything else like that, where there's, I, I feel like, uh, uh, you know, or even, even sports like, uh, you know, like football or stuff like that. It's so grinding on the body. You know, there's so much impact. There's not as really much impact on what I'm doing. So, um, I'm really grateful to feel extremely, uh, strong in what I do still. Where do you think when when you see somebody like a Tom Brady, who I mean, I, I saw this motherfucker on TV the other day. He looks sixteen. I, I I don't I don't understand what's happening. I cannot figure it out. I don't know what he's doing. I actually interviewed his trainer um, at TB12 um, on yeah. stage. And nice. I, dr- I drilled. I, I drill. His name's Alex Guerrero. If you don't know, and I, I, I drilled him with questions. And I can't figure out how this guy's reverse aging. When you see who who's the person that you see that you're blown away with that you look and you go this this guy or girl is 20 years older than me and they're they're as good as I am or this is where I want to go. Who who comes to mind for you? Oh well, that's easy. Tom Brady, you know, Tom like, Brady. That's, Just that's, Tom Brady, yeah, right? I mean, he, he, he's on my vision board all day long. I'm like, look as Tom Brady can still be the best quarterback or, you know, winning super super bowls at 44 or whatever he is. I'm just like, I got at least five, eight year, more years, you know, like, uh, like he's, he's my inspiration hundred percent. And to that, I don't know Tom Brady or, or his staff, but you know, in just the research that I've read and, and done, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's eating clean. It's, you know, it's, it's mindset. It's, uh, a lot of the things that I, I, I preach as well, but you know, I can't say that uh, I'm following his specific blueprint, if you will, but uh, he's an inspiration. Yeah. He's got some crazy stuff that he's doing for sure. It's more than, yeah. it's more than the things that you've mentioned. It, it, it was interesting though, just as a side note, I think you'd find this interesting. I, I asked um, his trainer, I said, how long have you guys been together? He said, oh, almost 20 years now. And I said, you guys ever have an argument? And he said, once <laughs> I said, what was the argument about? If you don't mind sharing. He said, I remember exactly what it was. He, I asked him, what does he want to do with his career? It was like in the first year we were training. And he said, I want to be the oldest living football player, the oldest living quarterback uh, ever. And he said, okay, if that's what you want, then I don't want you to ever have weights in your hand again. I don't want to see you bench pressing. I don't want to see you doing bicep curls because I need to have, I don't want those muscles tight. I need them <laughs> loose. You know, he does this, um, I don't know what it's called, but he does this where like he's uh, lengthening the muscle with his hands. He said, so I don't want it. And he said, one day I came in and he didn't know that I was going to be there. And I saw him doing bench presses and I packed my shit 
And I was leaving <laughs> and, uh, and he looks at me and he goes, where, where are you going? We're, we're training today. He goes, no, I, I, I told you I'm out. If you lift weights, I'm out. And he's wow. like, no, 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 no. So that was the turning point. He said, from that moment, everything I told him to do, he did. And wow. it, it's an interesting, he, he's an interesting guy. I, I don't I, like, there's more to it. I'm sure than we know, yeah. but it is remarkable. Every, if you mm -hmm. look at him at 30 years ago and now it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. I want to talk a little bit about a couple of other things as we wrap. A lot of people who listen to the show listen to other podcasts. And one of the uh, one of the podcasts a lot of people listen to is uh, Tim Ferriss. And I yeah. understand that you taught him. Do you say parkour? Is that how you say it? Yeah, parkour. Mm -hmm. Tell me, uh, tell me how that uh, those circumstances happened, and what was it like uh, to teach uh, to teach the master? Oh, dude. Uh, shout out to Tim Ferriss, awesome human. And it's cool. We have built a, uh, a friendship over the years and it was really neat. We, we met through an organization called Summit Series and uh, it was so cool because he was one of the, the keynote speakers and I was like so excited to like to, to meet him. And, and, and it was so crazy, you know, talk about like, you know, we're talking about celebrity and getting like nervous to meet someone, you know, I was like, man, I really want to meet Tim Ferriss. And the craziest thing was, he had heard who I was and was also excited to meet me. He was, he was, uh, at the time had just wrote the four hour body and was writing the four hour chef. And so he was really into, you know, movement style training. So it was really cool. I was like, wow, I had no clue who even knew who I was. And, uh, and from there he was like, let's just stay in touch. Um, and I, you know, I went to his talk. I was like, you know, I asked all the questions and, 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 uh, and so he's like, uh, we exchanged information and, and I didn't think I'd ever hear from the guy. And then, you know, I heard from him and he was like, Hey, I got a project which maybe you can help me with cool. And then, uh, and then from there he was like, I'm, uh, I'm start, I'm, I'm doing a TV sh uh, series called the Tim Ferriss experiment where he would work with different masters, uh, like Laird Hamilton for surfing, for example. And, yeah. um, and, and he wanted to do one for movement and he, uh, worked with me and another guy for parkour and, and calisthenics. And so that, and he asked me to be one of the instructors, which was like, a huge honor. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is incredible. Amazing. And Amazing. so, uh, we filmed the show and, uh, and it launched, uh, I think you can, I'm pretty sure you can find it on iTunes. And, um, it was so, so awesome to be able to teach him a skill set that I had learned. And, and so it was really cool. Uh, and after that he was, we, we kept in touch, we formed a friendship and he was like, at the time he was like, uh, he was wanting to explore new, new movements. And, and he was like, uh, I think he was like at the time going through a breakup and, uh, and going to a new relationship. And he's like, Hey, look, I want to get better at, at, at moving and connecting with people. And you've been doing this thing called acro yoga and I want to learn it. I'm like, well, this is great. I, I love acro yoga and I'd be happy to teach you. So, uh, at the time he was coming and he was living part-time in LA. And so we spent a lot of time together and I connected him with the founder of acro yoga. I trained him a lot in acro yoga and acro yoga for people who don't know is, is partner acrobatics, uh, meets yoga where you basically, it's like standing on people's shoulders. If, if you watch me on America's got talent, we do uh, acrobatic weightlifting. So we do acrobatics with weightlifting. This is acrobatics with yoga. And so, uh, we were, I was teaching him kind of the basics of that. And <clears throat> it's really cool that he's still really fascinated about that practice to this day. And he, with his, with his current partner, uh, they, they do acro yoga all the time and he's really enjoyed that practice. Uh, uh, you know, he had, uh, 
the founder of Actor Yoga on his podcast. We actually filmed the podcast, although it never launched. So hopefully we, uh, we, we, uh, we're going to film another one and, and launch it some other time. But uh, it's been cool to, to work with him. And it's been cool because he, he's a really cool guy. You know, not everyone will get to meet him in your lifetime, but I can say that he's a generally amazing guy. He's extremely intelligent. He, he looks at everything. I, it's, this is kind of cliche, but like a, like, a, like a problem, like a science problem. He's like, how can I dissect this and make it more efficient, you know, and that's how he does in everything. Not, not only like with your friendship, but also with like a scenario, you know, even from like, how can we be more efficient? Like, in like, you know, getting to the restaurant or how we more like in teaching him acro yoga, it's like, okay, cool. Now I'm going to like dissect it. And like, this is how it can be done better or taught better. And so he's just a forever student and forever a, uh, forever a, a master and, and just wanting to like learn and help others. And, and, uh, uh, I highly recommend anything that he produces. He's an incredible human. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a great guy. And just, uh, just to ditto that for people that wonder what he's like, my wife was friends with his uh, former girlfriends and he, uh, I, I, I read his book and I loved his book. And so my wife asked as a favor and, and as a surprise, if he would call me to wish me a happy birthday. And, oh, wow. uh, and one day, I mean, it was the craziest thing. One day my phone rang and he said, Hey Rob, this is uh, Tim Ferriss. And I was like, yeah, yeah, fuck, you know, good. yeah, really. <laughs> and uh, he's like, no, it really is. Your wife had, Bob, who had arranged it. And we sat and, and talked and he was just incredibly warm and kind. And he certainly mm-hmm. did not need to do that. So uh, testament there. You mentioned uh, Gabby Reese. We had uh, Gabby Reese on the, uh, you mentioned Laird Hamilton, um, but yeah. we had uh, his wife, Gabby, uh, on the show two weeks ago. And it's very interesting at, you know, how they are collectively moving as a couple, moving more into the kind of work that you're doing, but they're doing it in water. You know, they're, uh, I I don't know, what do you call what they're doing underwater with these cinder blocks and all that stuff? It's crazy stuff. Yeah. You know, I actually, I've uh, been invited through friends of friends to go train with them and I haven't, uh, uh, schedules haven't lined up yet, but I'm excited to do it one day. And I have not, uh, I met them very briefly at a trade show once, but their stuff is really cool. I actually, I, I don't want to butcher it or say it wrong. So I don't know their, what the official name of their style of training is, but I have some people on it and they've all said really, really great things about it. You know, it's like, it's a combination of breath work and training underwater and, and, uh, you know, functional fitness, uh, obviously in another dimension within, uh, within water. So it's, it's really cool what they're doing. Uh, and I've, I've had a lot of Laird's superfood products and say, I think, I think they're great. So, yeah, cool stuff. All right. So as we wrap up, we're going to jump into a speed round answer as quickly mm-hmm. or as slowly as you like, what would your friends say is one of your superpowers? Uh, I love bringing people together. Um, and so I guess maybe that would be it. What keeps you up at night? trying to get all my work done. <laughs> my task list. Yeah. Do you collect anything or have you ever collected anything? I rarely collect things, but uh, when I travel, I usually try to get an artifact from a country that I've been to. What do people never ask you? But you wish they did. They, they asked me about, you know, America's Got Talent and Ninja and this and that, but they never asked me about this. That's a good one. I don't know if I have, I don't know if I have an answer off the top of my head. It's a trick. Uh, it's it, it's it's a little yeah. bit of a mind fuck because you have to like figure out, huh? What do they never ask me? 
I can tell you what they yeah. always ask me, but yeah. I can't tell you what they never ask me. So uh, think about it. We'll take a pa- we'll take a pass for a minute, unless you got one. I'll, I'll get. I'll give you an indirect answer. I, one thing that rarely comes up, but I'm I'm super passionate about, is also just getting into nature, like camping, outdoorsy, outdoors, and off roading. Uh, getting out into nature. Rarely people ever ask me about that, but it's something I'm super passionate about. So, all right, what book have you reread the most? Oh, reread. Well. I mean, the one that comes up, I just reread Supernatural for like, uh, becoming Supernatural for like the fourth time. So let's put that one on there. <laughs> are you, uh, are you into Esther Hicks? I am. Esther Hicks is great. Yeah. Great, great stuff, man. I, I, every yeah. morning, if for those of you that don't know, I'm, de- I'm definitely not going to take the time to try and explain how she's talking <laughs> to, to 12 dead people right now, but, uh, <laughs> Google, uh, Google Esther Hicks on, uh, YouTube Esther Hicks and just listen, it'll blow you away. She'll blow you away. Yeah. Or they'll blow you away. I don't know. Yeah, all, um, all, of <laughs> all of them. What is one thing that you own? And you probably should throw this out, but you're not going to do it. My television. That's an interesting answer. Nobody's ever given me that one. Okay, last question. <laughs> what one question would you like to ask me? Do you have a mission statement for your life? I don't go off per se an actual statement because I find that when I craft those things, it feels like I'm trying to craft something to put into a frame. But I can tell you that I do live by one internally and I'll give it to you you know, just off the top of my head. And it's do more of the things you love to do and less of the things you don't. Oh, that's beautiful. I got one more if that's okay. Yeah, go ahead. Is there any way I can support you? It's a great, that, that's very kind of you. Is there any way that you can support me? Not directly. I think the way, this is going to sound like a, a woo-woo answer, but guys like you who do seemingly the impossible, what I think most people don't understand is that it takes a tremendous amount of courage, work, discipline, focus to be able to accomplish it. And what you're doing out in the world is creating a ripple effect of other people that are saying, well, if this guy can do it, maybe I can do it. So you're supporting my mission of helping people to realize that they're capable of so much more and that life is not all about work and that it's about play by living your life. So the way you can best support me is by continuing to do what it is that you're doing. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) <laughs> you got it. Well, this was uh, this was amazing. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? Yeah, uh, I guess like we had talked about this before, uh, we had, we had finished America's Got Talent, but currently doing a show. Uh, we just wrapped in Italy, but we're doing France's Got Talent and the country of Georgia. We just aired this week, um, um, but we'll be continuing on to the next rounds with that. So uh, check out our group called Positive Impact Movement. And honestly, our mission is to inspire people to move and hopefully we make a positive impact in your life. And uh, I think my longer term vision is to essentially create uh, a tour or even my own circus of, of movement uh, where it's instead of just like a show where it's like, Oh, I, I would never be able to do what circus lay people do and make it more interactive where it's like, Hey, we're doing some crazy stuff. We, you know, we're doing acrobatic weightlifting, but Hey, let's teach you the basics of, of some of that after afterwards. And so, you know, just kind of follow me on my journey. And uh, if you guys can support, shoot me, shoot me an email. I love working with people that have a, a mission to just make the world a better place. So, I love it, man. We'll link everything up in the show notes. Thanks for taking the time today. Hey, thank you so much. 
All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live. 